Rush will forever be the greatest of all time. Rush was an extraordinary man, a gentle giant, brilliant, quick-witted, genuinely kind, extremely generous, passionate, courageous, and the hardest working person I know. Despite being one of the most recognized, powerful people in the world, Rush never let the success change his core or beliefs. Brian, are you reading the new Rush Limbaugh book? Yeah, I picked it up at the mall yesterday. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but this might be the best book I've ever read. <laughs> Brian, you gotta be joking. No, I mean it, Lois. You know, I've never actually read any of Limbaugh's stuff, but this book makes an excellent case for personal accountability, fiscal responsibility, and stake eatership. But you're a hardcore liberal. Rush Limbaugh's a right-wing extremist. He stands for everything you despise. My loyalty is to reason, Lois, and as a reasonable person, I reserve the right to change my mind when presented with new information that alters my perspective. And I, I gotta tell you, I had this guy all wrong. I mean, some of the stuff in here is, hey, baloney! When Rush Limbaugh was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer back in February, he leveled with his listeners that he might not be around that long. Yet here he is on his last show of the year. I wasn't expected to be alive today. I wasn't expected to make it to October and then to November and then to December. And yet, here I am. My point in all of this today is gratitude. My, my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. We love the people of this country, and we want this to be the greatest country it can be, but we do understand, as people created and endowed by our Creator, we're all individuals. We resist the effort to group us. We resist the effort to make us feel that we're all the same, that we're no different than anybody else. We're all different. There are no two things or people in this world who are created in a way that they end up with equal outcomes. That's up to them. They are created equal to get the chance. So, <clears throat> we don't hate anybody. We don't. I mean, the racism in this country, if you ask me, and I know many people in this audience, let me just deal with this head on. You know what the cliche is of a conservative, racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. The sexism, the bigotry that we are all charged with. Just so you across the United States of America know, and you'll see demonstrated here as the afternoon goes on, doesn't exist on our side. We want everybody to succeed. We want the country to succeed, and for the country to succeed, its people, its individuals must succeed. Everyone among us must be pursuing his ambition or her desire, whatever, with excellence, trying to be the best they can be, not told. You really can't do that. You don't have what it takes. Besides, you're a minority or you're a woman and there are too many people that are willing to discriminate against you. You can't get anywhere. You need to depend on us. Well, 
take a look. Someone has to say this. I am thrilled for the opportunity to say it in my first national address to the nation. I'm going to touch on this in more detail in a moment, but this is just to get you thinking. Take a look at all of the constituency groups. They're still complaining. They are still griping about the same problems. Their problems don't get fixed by government, and those lives have been poisoned. Those lives have been cut short by false promises from government representatives who have said, don't worry about it, we'll take care of you. Just vote for us. Almost every American family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness. Here tonight is a special man, beloved by millions of Americans, who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. And Rush, in recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I will now ask the First Lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please. A well-deserved round of applause for Mr. Rush Limbaugh. That last bit of audio from when Mr. Rush Limbaugh received the Presidential Medal of Freedom at, uh, it was one of Donald Trump's State of the Union addresses, and I had heard that uh, Rush knew before. His facial expressions definitely didn't say that he knew. Uh, I think his wife knew, really. Um, but that was a really special moment. I remember watching that speech, um, really more so because I wanted to hear Trump's own words, because I knew there's about to be um, uh, hell unleashed about his words at that time. And then seeing that was, I remember that speech being very uplifting, very hopeful. And then to cap it with uh, Rush Limbaugh receiving the Medal of Freedom after his cancer diagnosis was, it was something to witness. It, it, was, a, it was a memory. I hope I never forget it. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about Rush Limbaugh and his passing uh, here this past week. Um, before we do that, though, I got to do it. I do it every week. I got to do it again. I got to tell you about Black Rifle Coffee www.blackriflecoffee.com. If you haven't checked them out yet, I'm still wondering why. Um, maybe you can get back to me and let me know. Apparently, you don't like fresh coffee because Black Rifle Coffee's got the freshest coffee. Um, apparently, you're not uh, too thrilled about American brands because Black Rifle Coffee is the most American cup of coffee you're going to get. And apparently, 
uh, you don't care about not killing grandmas during COVID because Black Raffle Coffee is COVID friendly. Um, maybe they don't like that promo. I don't know. I don't have a discount code yet. <laughs> uh, maybe this is why. Uh, but no, seriously, you need to check out Black Raffle Coffee. If you enjoy coffee, um, even just the basic cup of coffee, Black Raffle Coffee does have like their just black roast, which is your pretty typical medium roast. But I'm telling you, been saying it and I'll say it again that first sip of black rifle back black wow let's try that again black rifle coffee you will notice the difference right away um the freshness the smoothness of the flavor I'll, I'll be real with you today not recording at my normal office I'm recording at uh, another office obviously um and they don't have black rifle coffee here they have a really nice coffee machine um but no black rifle coffee so I'm drinking just whatever the hell they had in the machine. Oh, it's it's miserable, guys. Um, it's terrible. I just came through Snowpocalypse here in Texas, and I'm not sure which was worse, Snowpocalypse or this coffee. I'm kidding. Obviously, the uh, Snowpocalypse was ridiculous. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. But uh, you got to try Black Raffle Coffee. Head to their website if you like. Uh, I think they have like a, a little roast um, meter on each uh, each, when you click on the roast, it'll tell you if it's, you know, light roast, medium roast, dark roast. They got everything um, from light to dark, everything in between. And uh, if you're just starting out, not really sure what to try, I suggest absolutely either Just Black, JB, or uh, Silencer Smooth, SS. And uh, it's really, man, I, I love their marketing. Everything about their marketing to me is just genius. Uh, their roasts are all uh, named after a specific type of weapon that kind of reflects you know, says something about the roast itself. I love it. And then of course, on top of that, they do amazing stuff with their profits. They help out with law enforcement, veterans, first responder organizations. My favorite roast to date, and I've tried a lot, is the uh, five alarm, which proceeds from that go to supporting uh, fire department organizations, firefighter organizations, and things like that. Um, So they do really, really good stuff with their profits and they hire veterans. They are veterans, combat veterans themselves, um, the executive leadership. So great company, great product. That's what we're all about here on the point uh, point B podcast. Uh, we like to see people doing great things with their talents and support them. So man, we're still waiting on getting a discount code from them. Uh, I'd love to speak with somebody there. Keep spreading the show, spreading the word about what we're doing. And that's just going to help us, uh, one to get, get hooked up with black rifle coffee but even if that never happens it'll help us reach those other brands out there that are doing great things and have them on the show uh start sponsoring them get some discount codes going and uh just support the the good companies out there doing god's work next cross and musket apparel that is uh, my wife and i's t-shirt company and really what that does is we we don't make money off of that we use any money from there to help with the podcast and then we also donate 10% of our profits to uh, local charities. I'm going to do an entire segment about that coming up. I uh, just need to get all the details together. But uh, we we support life here on this show. We support uh, mothers' rights to choose and to choose life. Um, and and we, we stand by that. We always will. And so um, I say that because one of the major nonprofits that we are wanting to support is a shelter for women. It's an, it, it was founded here in San Antonio, Texas, when Planned Parenthood moved in as an, another option. You know, if 
Well, yeah, I'm not going to preach about that. We will have an entire segment about that coming up soon. But if you want right now just a, a cool t-shirt, um, a soft t-shirt, high quality, washes up well, looks nice, says a lot without having a huge graphic design on it, Cross and Musket Apparel. we got three t-shirt designs right now, phasing out the Never Alone design. Um, unless that picks up, then I'll get some more printed. Uh, that's got a really interesting story. Think um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, then we have the I'm a Friend of God design. I love that one. And, of course, the ever-famous Give Me Puppies or Give Me Death. Uh, that was our original design, and that was the most fun um, to market and to sell and see people. Uh, we were at trade shows and things and seeing people walk by and just really reflect with the T-shirt. Um, here in our small town, actually, people go to these market days that we attend, and they uh, they bring their dogs a lot of times. So it was really cool. If you head over to our Instagram, Cross and Musket, at, uh, on, on Instagram at cross and musket, you'll see uh, the picture of Lucy, the dog that was a tiny, tiny puppy when we took that picture with our t-shirt and lo and behold, later that day, unbeknownst to me, I found out later, my sister actually showed up, you know, to come, come see me at the market days. And then she and her husband were shopping around and they actually ended up taking Lucy home and they still have Lucy and she's a beautiful, um, playful pup. She's awesome. So, uh, that, I mean, I honestly, dogs, right? It's, it's worth going to our page just to look at that again at cross and musket on Instagram. That's the best place to check us out. If you have issues with checkout, um, buying the shirts, let me know. I've been receiving word. I've gotten some emails that, uh, checkout's not working. Uh, so I've done some tests and it's kind of working for me, but maybe it's not working, um, for people who aren't owners of the page. I don't know. Instagram's doing some funny stuff right now. Um, but uh, when you do check it out, use promo code INSTA, I-N-S-T-A, for 20% off. And that is a sizable discount, if I do say so myself. Um, moving on, let's talk a little bit about Rush. Uh, I'm a little late to the game, obviously. It's a Saturday. Uh, Rush passed on, I think, Wednesday. Um, so a lot. I've, I've heard a lot of talk show hosts. Given a history of Rush Limbaugh, um, I'll let them do that. I, I really want to talk a little bit um, about... Rush's impact on me and um, his past, his history is well documented. And there's many out there that have done just beautiful tributes to him. So I don't, I'd rather push you that direction because um, I, I wish I had the resources to do that type of stuff. He deserves every, every second of it. Um, but what I can do is give you a personal testimony of the type of person, the type of impact he's had. One second, I need to take my sweater off. It's freaking hot in here. Uh, and what do you know? I have an I am a friend of God t-shirt on. Beautiful. Um, Rush Limbaugh. When I think of Rush Limbaugh, of course, I think of his voice. I mean, just the same audio, the same sound you, that we've heard since really, I guess, the 90s, maybe sooner, um, from behind his uh, golden microphone. Talent on loan from God. Uh, he had... Just, just iconic. You know, there's so many directions I want to take this, but he was just iconic. Um, you hear the term goat thrown around a lot, greatest of all time. And truly, when it comes to conservative talk, conservative think, and not even just think, because, you know, there's great thinkers out there, but it's one thing to have a great idea. 
It's another thing to relay that with just your voice, no illustrations, just your voice to an audience to where they understand it and they, they get the concept. And that, that's what made Rush so impactful. Not only did he bring entertainment and quality back to AM radio when it was dying out at the time, he saved AM radio and, it, and in the process saved FM radio because it created that distinction. But he was masterful at taking a concept and using his time to to explain it to people. And and I loved the authenticity of his voice because, you know, there's a lot of podcasts and radio shows out there that are extremely well produced. Um, no lag time. No, you don't hear the the speaker thinking to themselves and, and contemplating and hitting the desk and shuffling papers. Rush, you heard it all. You were in the room with him and you were, you were going through this mental process with him. And I enjoyed that. And, and millions and millions of listeners enjoyed that. Because you felt like he didn't have all the answers. But he was searching for the answers live on air with you. And he was not a fan of taking phone calls, but he did it a lot. And you have to respect him for that. And that's difficult to do. Um, If you don't listen to a lot of radio, it's difficult to to go unscripted. You know, when I don't prepare, like, like if, if you saw my story last night, it's probably still up there right now on Instagram, um, at point B podcast or point B underscore cast. Sorry. Um, I didn't do the show yesterday because with snow apocalypse going on, I mean, we're just, we're hustling just to get enough snow to melt, to flush the toilet this past week. Um, I didn't have the time to go through my notes. And when I did at the time, I was stressed out dealing with other crap. Excuse me. And and so I didn't want to go on the show without my notes being really lined up and, and having my thoughts together. And when you're doing a live show every single day for hours, I, I've heard um, testimony that Rush Limbaugh was preparing for hours and hours before every show, staying up late, waking up early. And he lived and breathed talk radio and conservative politics and conservative thought. You know, I bet you can go back to his early, earliest, earliest radio shows and it would be like a completely rushed Limbaugh. And I think that's good. That's how I hope I am um, with this podcast. I hope that you can see the, the evolution of my thought, the evolution of my thought process and how I approach uh, different topics, different ideas and approach disagreements and debates. Um, that's good. That means that somebody's involved with what they're doing if they're constantly growing and Rush Limbaugh was constantly growing and the audience grew with him and he had a very educated audience because of him he had an audience that could engage in debate and recall facts and dates and um, legislation and presidential executive orders and things like that because he educated his listener but at the same time he was an entertainer he was devoted to entertaining his audience and that that is a tough thing to do it is tough to make politics sexy. It's very, I mean, Fox News, CNN, they spend millions of dollars to make politics and news sexy. And when you've got just a short, overweight Mexican like me behind a microphone or uh, uh, an overweight, um, just typical white dude behind a golden microphone, it's tough to make that sexy, but Rush was great at it. He was great at making knowing your stuff sexy. 
and that's cool. I, I have to respect that. And I, I didn't agree with what he said all the time. I didn't agree with how he said it most of the time. But um, for those who knew him, it, it's obvious that they saw kindness and greatness, obviously, and sincerity behind that man. Um, so hats off to Rush Limbaugh. Uh, I take a lot of what I, what I know today and, and, um, what I, what I think about nowadays, I I owe that to being interested in in conservative politics, number one. And what got me interested in conservative politics was driving my crappy ass Honda Civic, 97 Honda, Honda Civic, my first car, driving that to Alamo community colleges here in San Antonio, getting my, um, associate's degree and sweating my ass off because I had no AC and just having the radio on and sitting in traffic and listening to Rush Limbaugh talk. And that was really the start start of my adulthood and listening to him talk. And I'll tell you before, before I move on, uh, I don't feel like I could spend too much time on him, but I do have other stuff I want to get to. Um, hearing people talk about Rush Limbaugh, you know, he would say something on the radio and then bam, you know, it's in the news, Rush Limbaugh, an inflammatory radio talk show host, Rush Limbaugh. Um, and then they would, they would give a short little three or five second clip of him and saying that, you know, he was racist or he called somebody a slut or he called somebody a whore. And I remember those days very well. And I remember hearing it and thinking, Oh crap, I'm going to hear about this on the news. And sure enough, but what was presented about what he said and how he said it in that tiny, tiny short clip, no context. I'm thinking to myself, that's not what he said. And that was my, my first real introduction to how there are so many out there that are so willing to take your words, my words, Rush Limbaugh's words and skew them to intentionally to, to deceive their audience into believing something about somebody else slander right and hearing that it frustrated me and and then i started thinking well why why are they so afraid of what he's saying because when i hear it in context on the radio it makes a hell of a lot of sense it makes so much sense how he's presenting it and he's being fair and he's giving credence to the other side of the argument plays devil's advocate all the time uh his producer mr snurdly i think was his name is what he always called him um he would always play devil's advocate and they'd go back and forth and it was great. It was great thought provoking information, you know, just real good brain meat there, um, to digest. And, you know, I, I love that. I respected that. And, and then to hear his words that were so powerful in context to hear them taken out of context and used to not only slander him, but to slander his movement, his conservative movement, um, it really pissed me off back in the day. And, and it got me thinking, you know, there's a lot of power in words and there's a lot of power in the microphone and, and being heard, you know, it doesn't matter how many millions or how many hundreds or four people that are hearing your voice, there's power in what you're saying. And, and with great power comes great responsibility. And Rush Limbaugh, took that responsibility to heart and he took it seriously and it weighed on him and he, it fueled him and it drove his career in it. And he rose to the challenge, exceeded the challenge and just, and he left a, a trail for the rest of us. Uh, he, he blazed a trail. And if you remember, um, before we move on the, the hero episode that I did, 
the hero generation. Um, that's kind of one of the, the figures I was referring to when I said, you know, the heroes are either dying or they're getting tired of being the heroes and they're, you know, some of them are selling out, you know, they can't get four words into a sentence without bring without bringing up their book and, you know, things like that. The, the heroes are, are moving on. And so it's time for uh, this generation, my generation, me, uh, hopefully to, to pick up that torch and carry it because they, they left us um, big shoes to fill. Absolutely. Um, so we'll move on now. Uh, I do want to talk about, I got a couple of news stories, but really this week, man, I've just been really introspective. Um, of course, we had snowpocalypse here in Texas again, and it was different. Um, I say I say again because several years back we had a decent snowstorm, um, but then we had sun come out the next day, and I think we had one or two days of downtime, um, but no water electric issues. This time, uh, we had several days of sub-freezing temperatures, so the ground was nice and cold and no sun, and then we had the snowstorm hit come in, several inches of snow, and people's pipes froze, burst, um, of course, the electric grid was having an issue because the wind turbines, um, I'm not going to try and bring in a ton of politics to here, but uh, I think that the statistic was about 20% of Texas energy comes from those wind turbines. And when those wind turbines froze, think a giant fan, giant blades, and it, they froze. Now 20% of your energy is not being produced. That's massive for a state like Texas and with so many rural communities in such a large state, um, a lot of electric co-ops went down and people didn't have electricity, didn't have running water because how do you get water out from your main, um, water source? Well, you have electric pumps, so no electricity, no water's getting pumped, especially out where my wife and I live in the hill country, a little bit elevated. It's take, we still don't have running water. Uh, we haven't had running water since this past, uh, I think it was Monday today being Saturday. So it's been a little while, um, melting snow to flush toilets. It's been interesting. And, and I say all that to say that this week has been really introspective for me because it's been another situation, just like when COVID hit another situation where these things that we base our life on, that we just, we feel so secure in can be taken away just like that. And then what the hell do you do? Um, it's difficult. It was difficult to just carry on a normal routine. Um, because you're so concerned with, you know, if I got to go to the bathroom, well, I mean, sorry, TMI, but is this going to be a number one or is this going to be a deuce? And is this really what the question is? Is this going to require a flush? <laughs> and cause we live in a small apartment. So a little bit of smell goes a long way and uh, you can't be letting stuff sit. So uh, I'm running out shoveling snow. My wife went out, shoveled snow for a little bit cause I was working. And so needless to say, it was interesting. Um, and, and it made us very thankful for just simple things like electricity. When so many were out of power, out of heat, and we got temperatures down to nine degrees sometimes, people froze their butts off. Um, people died, uh, I'm sure, as happens every winter um, when power starts getting becoming an issue. Um, people passed away, uh, froze to death, and no food, no heat, no water. So it was terrible. It was, it was a really tough situation. Um, there was a disaster declaration. I think Biden approved it and uh, Dan Crenshaw and um, rest of the uh, representatives from Texas are urging Biden to move quickly. Um, but we will talk about that in a second if we get time because the politics side of it, 
I'm pretty much done with it. So I might put that off to never. Uh, part of my introspection has been uh, continuing and almost finishing Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And I've come across so many good quotes. I got bookmarks all over this book and underlinings and things. But there's a couple of things that he said in here um, that I bookmarked and that I want to read for you that really hit me. There's been a few things really, but um, this one struck me the other night with in, in, in referring it to politics, which is where my brain ends up going a lot of the times. It's a blessing and a curse. I'm sorry, but that's, that's just how my brain works. And so I'm seeing these words. I, I believe that Matthew McConaughey is a, is a modern day prophet of some sorts because just the, the words that come out and, and the beauty is you can I don't want to geek out too much on this because then I'm going to miss the point. But this book is written. I mean, the, the, the way it's written, you can hear Matthew McConaughey reading it or writing it and saying it. And it's, it's great because it's his inflections, his, his words, his voice. And I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I heard that the audiobook he actually recorded it in one take, which to me is further evidence that these are his words that he knew what he was saying because they're his words. It's not like it's just some ghost writer. I hope that would ruin it for me. Really would. But to to his point, uh, what he was saying, um, talking about basically not trying to win fights with people about right and wrong um, and trying to understand each other instead. Here's a quote, and he was quoting a, a man that he met, basically a monk um, out in the desert, And, uh, it's just, it's an insane story. Um, in in the legendary town of Timbuktu, as he puts it, and he's meeting these, um, these men that he knows that, uh, he's been interacting with, uh, here in in this part of the book. And two of them are, as he phrases it two well, well well-educated friends are discussing, uh, back and forth. And what he's realizing at these two aren't debating. They're not arguing, even though the discussion's getting heated, they are, they are, they value this back and forth, this, this, and what he, what he turns it into is not a debate, not an argument, but an attempt to understand. Um, and when, when Matthew McConaughey tries to inject himself, they look at him like, what what are you doing, bro? Like you're interrupting us. And, and then when they finally realize that he just doesn't understand what's happening, one of the men, Ali, says this. Quoting the book, just then Ali, the guy whose side I was agreeing with, I being Matthew McConaughey, he snapped at me and said, it is not about right or wrong. It is, do you understand? Slightly stunned, I leaned back in my chair sheepishly sheepishly as Ali stared at me with sobering vengeance. At last, Amadou, the other one who was arguing, whose side I was against, looked at me and asked kindly, do you understand that? I did, yeah, I said, I do, sorry. To which Amadou, just as sharply and still holding my gaze, said, you'd better be different, not sorry. And those two quotes hit me hard. Um, thinking about politics and thinking about how I approach discussions, debates, whatever. It is not about right or wrong. It is, do you understand? And that's so heavy. (laughs) There's so much there because, and I actually heard, and maybe this gentleman that I heard on another, uh, is a TV politics talk show that I listened to on The Blaze. 
uh, Stephen Crowder, might as well just say it. Um, the guest on there was talking about essentially understanding each other. And, and I, I hope that it's because he's reading this book. But anyways, it's so important and it is so life-changing in a way to start approaching these things, these disagreements with people, not from a standpoint of, okay, how do I convey my truth? How do I convince this person that I'm right? How do I convince everybody watching this argument take place? You know, whether it's in person or, or on, a, on a radio show or just in the comments of a Facebook post, you know, how, how do I make sure that everybody understands my side and agrees with me? How do I, how do I keep from saying something that leads me open to a one up on the other side? And then I'm, can, I'm perceived as being wrong. You know, we focus so much on being the victor of these discussions. And I say, we, you know, I'm taking that to heart myself personally, a lot of insecurity there with discussing politics. Cause you know, I feel like sometimes I got something to prove like conservatism. I can't be wrong. I can't not have my facts straight. I can't not, um, win. Because then, then a loss for, for, in my argument, is a loss for conservatism, and you know, X amount of people have just con- been convinced they want to take the other viewpoint. And it, it, it's always about winning. And reading that quote, and it, have I ever just stopped myself to understand the person I'm arguing against? You know, um, there is another quote on that same page. Um, One of the things that they're debating, they're at a table full of males, uh, and they see a lady, uh, quoting the book, about 25 years of age, came strolling through, having a solicitous look at each table full of males. It was obvious she was a lady of the night and was trolling for business. Oh, this, this is not good, said Ali. This is a Muslim woman, and this is not the Muslim way. You do not go and sell your body. This is a disgrace. She should not be doing this. Well, Amadou countered, it is not for any of us to judge what someone should or should not be doing. We do not know her particular circumstances. What she does or does not is not for us to say. And I, I understand the maybe this kind of a slippery slope there of just giving everybody the benefit of the doubt in every circumstance, you know, saying, well, we don't know what drove them to that really shitty situation. At sometimes, yeah, they just put themselves there. Um, but that's not, like the book is saying, that's not for us to judge. We don't know. So when you don't know what puts somebody in a situation, well, how could you ever judge them for being in that situation or for having that viewpoint? And I think that is something I want to make very foundational to this podcast. Once I start having people on that I can engage with, whether it's listeners or guests um, and discussing and debating, how can we understand each other? How can I not only make myself understood? I mean, I think that's a very basic need for most people. And, and maybe not, I don't know, but for me personally, I devote a great deal of my time to people understanding why I have viewpoints or why I make a certain decision. And when I say people, I interact with about four people. <laughs> every day, my wife being one of them. So with my wife and I, there's times where I'll say something and she agrees and I'm, and, and I don't feel like a, a full 100% devoted agreement. So I'm like, but, so do you understand why I say that? And, and, and I go all in about trying to, um, explain why, you know, I have a viewpoint. I, I put a lot of weight in people understanding why I believe something 
because I want to understand what they believe. I want to know why they agree or disagree. And, and, and that boils down to, do they really authentically, truthfully, honestly agree or disagree? Oh, Black Rifle. No, this isn't Black Rifle coffee. This is crappy Oh, grocery store coffee. It's terrible. Um, so anyways, that being said, going forward, I think you'll, you'll, once the podcast grows and, and I have people on the show, I think you'll, I hope, and if you don't call me out, but I think that you will see an attempt of, from me and, uh, from anybody else I have on the show to, to carry that mantle to, to have that mission of understanding the other side before we convict or judge, um, passing judgment before you understand why a decision was made is counterproductive. So that was a little tidbit I took from there. Moving on. Um, I listened to, uh, Joe Rogan podcast episode 1609 with Elon Musk. And there was a part in there. It's, it's a fascinating episode. Just Elon Musk is one. He's a genius too. He reminds me actually of a family member of mine, wicked smart, and but very, how do I say this? I guess shy socially. And the way that shyness comes across through humor is very dry humor and very just say the joke and just leave it there in the middle of the table and just wait for somebody to react not the type of person to ever laugh at their own joke, but they, they put it there and then they just wait for you to, <laughs> for you to react. And Elon Musk is like that sometimes, you know, he's, he, he's, he puts a, a very smart intellectual joke out there. And then you have to think about it. Like, do I actually understand that? Probably not. I'm just going to laugh anyways, because he looks like he wants me to laugh anyways. So it's a very cool episode to listen to. If you get a chance, I think this is like the second or third time he's been on Joe Rogan's show. But they're talking about, uh, of course, going to Mars and colonizing and uh, Elon Musk. I mean, the most the, the greenest uh, entrepreneur, business owner out there, the only one making really true strides to not only achieve renewable energy goals, but also doing it in a market capitalistic based method to where it actually works. The technology arrives when when there's demand for it and when it can be utilized efficiently. And I love that. I have nothing against alternate alternative types of energy, but what we've, what we've seen here in Texas just from this freeze is electric and wind. They're not there yet. They're, they're not there to be used as a foundation of our, what you, what they would call an electric or a power base. They are not there yet to where they can be, trusted because okay solar panels you get a little bit of snow wow no more sun or there's a little bit of clouds no more sun um wind they freeze up i mean they were flying drones and helicopters and stuff up there spraying the wind turbines down trying to get them loose again because it's so important just every little percentage of your uh your electric load your supply it matters especially in the dead of winter in a snowstorm um and so it from Elon Musk, I grasp that he understands that, that he understands you can force the issue, you know, you can wet the puzzle piece and really cram it in there, or you can be patient and you can take it as a challenge, you know, okay, I, I'm, I've got the technology to create an electric car, but people aren't excited about a Prius. Most, 
<laughs> what would they be excited about? Well, damn it, they'd definitely be excited about a, an electric car that can go 0 to 60 in like 2.7 seconds or whatever it is. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I remember when they first started talking about Teslas and, and learning about how the, the mechanics work compared to a normal gas engine. It's, it's incredible. And that's what it takes. It takes real outside-of-the-box thinking. And that's what Elon Musk has and provides to the discussion. And anyways, uh, they, they got into the topic of Texas, because if you don't know, Joe Rogan from California, Elon Musk from California, both have now moved to Texas. Elon Musk and Tesla are going to be manufacturing the Tesla truck in Texas. They bought up like over a thousand acres or something uh, right next to the airport in Austin, and they're going to be manufacturing those new trucks. And they were talking about Austin and they were talking about the state of Texas and what makes it so, what makes it work? Why is Texas so, you know, air quotes, weird? And Texas is so, you know, stereotypically, you would say Texas is the cowboy. It's the button-up. It's the the very strict, the very um, principled, and not a whole lot of humor. And, and you know, everybody, it's, it's so weird. Everybody up north thinks that we ride around on cowboys and stuff. It's hilarious. If you go to Bandera, Texas, just a little spit up the road, um, they actually still do. <laughs> and I've always thought it's it's very unique problem solving. You see a lot of horses parked outside of a bar on a Friday night because the horse knows how to get home. The drunk guy sitting on the horse doesn't. And guess who's not getting pulled over for drunk driving? The drunk dude riding a horse. Beautiful. I love it. That, that's that's America right there. If you're going to make irresponsible decisions, you might as well at least do it in a safe way <laughs> and in a way you're not going to be held legally responsible for. Um, but anyways, I want to play a little bit of audio from that podcast episode and hopefully it doesn't get my podcast flagged and taken down i'm not making any money off of this yet so don't sue me uh but here's here's a little audio about joe rogan and elon musk talking about austin texas and the state of texas in general yeah well uh I, frankly i was just <laughs> well, austin is a bit like many california so i was like asking the team in california all right where where do you want to what's your top choice or you know a uh, next big u.s factory location like, well, where, where do you want to spend time? And uh, the <laughs> number one choice was Austin. Uh, and then I was like, okay, okay, what's number two? Uh, silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so many California here in Austin. It is a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's I mean, I, I, I hesitate talking about it because I've talked about it too much. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's very utopian. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think Austin is going to be the biggest boomtown that America has seen in half a century. I think it's a great response to the fucked up government in some of the other cities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, yeah. Um, I think we, we do, do need to make sure that Austin does not, you know, people moving from California don't inadvertently recreate the issues that they have moved, that, yes. that caused them to move in the first place. Yes. Um, so the balance of Austin is a blue city and a red state. And it's yeah. almost like it kind of has to stay red. Not kind of has to. I think it does. You, you need the certain amount of freedoms, but then you need the philosophical. Like there's a there's a bend to Austin that's very progressive and open-minded and artistic sure. and the restaurants are amazing, the people are really cool, but it it needs to be sort of embraced by guns and god. <laughs> freedom sure. like that's part of the whole mixture that makes it work and that's 
it, you know, it's it's kind of there's a there's a metaphor to life in there somewhere, you know, yeah. that it's protected by the rest of the philosophy of Texas, which is a wild, crazy place that has more tigers in pr- private collections than in all of the wild of the world. Really? <laughs> that is something I did not know. I'd be interested to find um, some proof on that. But I, I think that they make an amazing, an amazing point there that there's balance. And if you've listened to any episodes before, you've probably heard me talk about balance. I'm fascinated with the concept of balance. This, um, and I'm not getting new agey or any weird on you, but kind of a a yin yang type thing that it's not only that do we, not only do we have to acknowledge the existence of the opposing view, the flip side of the coin, the, the, the other side to the scale, um, whatever you want to call it, not only do we have to acknowledge its existence, but it's it's essential that the, our whole system of government was set up to embrace that, not to overcome it or to quell dissenting uh, dissenting voices or opposing viewpoints. It was meant to prosper from the existence of an opposing viewpoint because when you've got balance and you give 100% power and influence to every single voice as our system is set up as it's supposed to work when it's working correctly um you receive the benefit it's like eating a well-balanced meal you receive the benefit of every single bite you know you've got your vegetables you've got your meats and you've got your grains or whatever uh, i've heard that the the food pyramid now is being debunked as completely full of shit, but let's pretend it still exists. Um, Everything has its place, everything in moderation, right? And so taking that to the political realm, I think that Elon Musk and Joe Rogan are absolutely correct there that Texas being such historically a solid red state, if it wants to stay red, it needs to embrace the Austins, the the thinking side, the the feeling side, the emotional and the, like he said, philosophical side, it's important to have that and to have that influence, especially in a state like Texas that is so proud and so uh, we are Texas. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. So we're, we can go it alone. We're fine. Um, to have that influence within the state and then invite in, 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 in re- reciprocation, um, those maybe left-leaning, more liberal viewpoints being protected by the freedoms that are so important to conservative politics, like freedom of speech, not silencing voices, embracing outside voices. And I'm talking newer conservatism, not traditional republicanism. Um, This new wave of conservative thought where it's, you know, I'm not afraid of your viewpoint anymore. I want to understand it. Back to Matthew McConaughey. I want to understand why it is you you believe that way, and I'm going to use the mechanisms of power to protect your right to not only feel that way, but to use your voice to spread that feeling and to spread that thought process. It's a great yin and yang, uh, yin yang there. Um, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a great balance there. Um, so before we move on, I would encourage you to listen to that episode for a multitude of reasons and um, in the the efforts to not have this episode taken down because of copyright infringement. That is the Joe Rogan podcast, the Joe Rogan experience episodes number 1609. 
with Elon Musk. So if you want to listen to it in its entirety, I would definitely recommend it. It's, I mean, Joe Rogan does like three hour long episodes, which I love, by the way, because you you get to know every single guest. It's awesome. That's kind of my view for this podcast as well, once I got the, the time and resources. But uh, yeah, give it a listen. And we will move on from that. Uh, real quick, I, there's an interesting story um, in the midst of snowpocalypse here in Texas. There was a story about a Texan who used their 2021 F-150, Ford F-150, to power their home. Something I, I didn't know is that the new F-150s actually have like an optional onboard mobile generator that can produce up to 7.2, excuse me, 7.2 kilowatts of power. Now, if you're asking yourself, what the fuck is a kilowatt and what does 7.2 of them do? I'm sorry. I need to watch my language. This is getting ridiculous. You know what? My mom actually just started listening to my podcast because I've been trying not to really tell people who will listen to it because I wanted to see what kind of organic reach I get. Um, But now we're 20 something episodes in. I'm bored with that. So yeah, my mom is listening now, so <laughs> I need to start bleeping myself. Um, sorry. But anyways, uh, what does 7.2 kilowatts do? Well, your average space heater is about 1.5 kilowatts. So it's actually pretty freaking legit. So anyways, uh, you had a lot of people using their trucks to power their homes and heaters and charge their devices, which I thought was just a fabulous testament to innovation and... Um, Really, I mean, that's capitalism right there. Um, I push everything back to capitalism because it's like, you you got these people tweeting about socialism and capitalism sucks and things like that, but they're doing it from a freaking iPhone that would not exist, literally would not exist without capitalism. And it's just astounding to me. So I thought that was um, just something neat to, to know about. Moving on. Oh, damn it. I guess we do still have a little bit of time. I have to talk about Ted Cruz because everybody's talking about Ted Cruz uh, fleeing the uh, state of Texas, going to Cancun on vacation to escape the cold. There's a couple of things here. And if you can't tell, I'm already freaking annoyed um, with this entire segment, but I have to do it. (laughs) Um, First of all, Ted, come on. Come on, man. You knew this was going to happen. You knew. Yeah, you knew this was going to happen. Um even with the best intentions, you know, he says he was just trying to be a good dad because his kids were out of school and they were cold and they wanted to go hang out with their friends somewhere. So why not Cancun, I guess? Um, I believe Ted did this knowing that he would have to apologize um, because people apparently have nothing better to do during a COVID lockdown slash massive winter storm than to protest. Like there are actually protesters outside of his house um, it must not be that cold outside is all I have to say to that. Uh, but I get it. You know, it, yeah, I get it. But, you know, having said that, before we quickly move on from this topic, speaking to leftists or speaking to people that are annoyed with Ted Cruz over this or actually angry and wanting him to resign over this, um, the situation of Ted Cruz in response to a freak natural disaster is not the same as let's say a Gavin Newsom responding to a COVID lockdown that he is enforcing while he's also breaking it. Not the same freaking out over Ted Cruz, but not freaking out over Gavin Newsom. 
from California. Um, little bit of hypocrisy there, if we're being honest. Lockdowns, man-made, imposed by threat of, threat of imprisonment. By the way, did you hear about the pastor in Canada who was uh, put in jail uh, after a secret trial that nobody was allowed to attend for insisting uh, on going to church in spite of mandatory lockdowns? I mean, he knew the, the, the potential penalty, and he continued to have his church services with singing, things like that. And now he's in prison. I need to I need to research that more and see if he's still there or if he's been finally released. But um, wow, how much power have we given to public health? I mean, you call something a public health crisis, and apparently you can just start locking pastors up. It, it's insane. Um, so, little tidbit there for you in case you weren't already feeling like a sack of crap. <laughs> uh, anyways, lockdowns were intentional and they were enforced. A freak winter storm is not intentional. It's nature. So at that point, what does Ted Cruz staying here do for anybody's health or safety? Absolutely nothing. Like, I don't feel better at night knowing that Ted Cruz flew home from Cancun on Thursday. I still don't have water. I am no better off. Go back to Cancun, Cruz. Anybody who voted for you is not going to stop voting for you all of a sudden because you decided to escape the cold. Um... I mean, you better believe that Ted Cruz wasn't the only person who left Texas to get away from the storms. He's just the the most noted, uh, most noticeable, I guess. I don't know. I mean, hell, Northerners do it every winter. People from the North move move down here over the winter, you know, bring their RVs. Uh, we've got RV parks. I don't know if this is something nationwide, but we have RV parks um, around the area all over Texas. And you can drive your RV down here, hook up and camp out or whatever. But, you know, my wife and I lived in an RV park for about a year and they refer to those people, those seasonal people who come down here from the north to get to warmer winters, they call them snowbirds and because it is such a thing. So it's not like it's, it's new looking at the news and saying, oh, it's about to get really freaking cold. I think I'm going to go on vacation. It's not like this brand new concept. Ted Cruz isn't, you know, introducing new, you know, groundbreaking practices here. Um just out of curiosity, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious how many Northerners came down here to have a warm winter and then didn't realize they're about to get snowed on and got stuck here. I, I'd just be curious because I feel like that'd be kind of funny. Um, anyways, bad optics, duh. Until today's political world, come on. He had to have known it was going to happen and just decided whatever. I'll deal with the backlash because whatever, you know, <laughs> he can't win everything. Um, but did he actually do something wrong or immoral? No. So that's all I got to say about that. Um, something to keep an eye out for this coming week. We're running out of time here. Um, or really, we're already over time as usual. Uh, the House is going to talk um, disinformation and antitrust with Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Uh, so there, there's, there's going to be a big push. Everybody is pissed off at Facebook and Twitter for different reasons. You got the right wingers are pissed off because they kick Trump off. They're silencing conservative voices, uh, throttling ad pages, keeping people from posting ads, things like that because of political viewpoints. And then you got the left that doesn't believe that they're, they're cracking down on conservative voices enough. Uh, they think that Facebook, uh, bears some responsibility for things such as the attacks on the Capitol on January 6th, which actually I've seen statistics that show 
that much of the communication, you know, Parler got taken down because they said people were using Parler to communicate about the Capitol attacks. And a lot of people, fam- my own family included, I've had a, um, at least one member of my family tell me to be careful on Parler because there's so much extremist talk. Well, lo and behold, Facebook was actually the number one platform used to plan the capital attacks or not even plan, but to discuss the, the, the rally and the uh, protest that was organized for uh, January 6th. Um, we need to talk about Alex Jones, actually. Um, I guess we'll do that on the next episode. But I saw an interview with Alex Jones and his role in the January 6th um the rally and of course what turned into the riots and it's 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 pretty amazing the level of responsibility that he's accepting for what happened the shame that he feels but at the same time it tells you exactly how really how um historical historically good January 6th could have been you would have had tens and tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting to make their voices heard outside of Congress. And it got spoiled. Now it's going to be historically bad because of a very small handful of people who thought they're freaking revolutionaries or whatever, just completely, well, can't use the R word on here. Um, anyways, in closing, uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, if 2020, 2021, uh, if they did or have done or are doing anything for me, it's like I mentioned before, remembering to be thankful for things like peace, certainty, security, ability, um, health, public utilities, warmth, room to run. Um, we take so many things for granted. Um, but something I, I want to really take to heart and put into action in my own life is not just acknowledging our need to be thankful for something, but actually being thankful by utilizing um, those things. You know, I think a lot of people feel guilt by having blessings in their life or advantages or uh, or whatever, being lucky. You know, oh, I've got running water. I feel guilty because others don't. So, but but do, do, does that mean turn the running water water off? Like, no, it, it, that doesn't make sense. The way to be thankful is by utilizing those things for good and and trying to advance so that other people have those abilities as well. And the number one thing that I think uh, that we can all and that we all should be thankful for is freedom of speech, our right to speak and be heard by anybody who wants to listen without fear of being silenced. You know, as long as I'm not going out there and saying, hey, you should go and attack the Capitol. But if I'm saying, hey, I think we should make our voices heard in mass because I believe something potentially wrong happened or is happening. You know, that is not grounds for having a voice silenced. And yet that's what we're seeing. So it's important for us to recognize the freedom of speech by using our freedom of speech and not allowing ourselves to be silenced by speaking up for whatever it is that makes your heart beat just a little faster. You know, when someone asks you a question about that topic, that thing you're interested in, and you, you, you know, you have to, you have to adjust your seat. You got to tense up. You got to, you got to take a deep breath and really think and, and make sure you're about to answer right. Um, 
and focused on what you're about to say because you see it as that important. What is your passion? We've talked about knowing yourself on the podcast before. What is your passion? What is that thing that makes you tick? Is it something that you can make a business out of? Yes, then I say do it. I've seen people post on social media, you know, I don't want to grind. I don't want to turn my hobby into a business. Can't we just have hobbies? Yeah, absolutely. That's not me. I'm the type, you know, if I'm going to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, I'm going to try and find a way to do it in the most enjoyable way. And for me, I enjoy the hell out of getting behind this microphone and talking to y'all. It's, it's, uh, it's important for me because it's an imp- they're important topics, I feel. Um, but more than that, it's, it's a release for me. It's a way for me to just get these thoughts out there, publish them. Whoever wants to listen to them can listen. But now it's off of my shoulders. I've said my piece. And that's important. Um, so if you, can, if you can go from working 40 hours a week to working 40 hours a week and then spending another 10 hours a day on your hobby or 10 hours a week, I'm sorry, on your hobby, even if you're not making any money from it, it's important to, to exercise that creative muscle. So whatever it is, whatever your hobby is, if it's making birdhouses or, you know, writing or reading or podcasting or whatever it is, working on cars, film it, photograph it, blog about it, build it, train it, perfect it. Maybe it's your family and friends, your community, you know, devote a hundred percent of yourself to your family, of course, but use that extra passion to, to make sort of a hobby out of excelling out of doing the extra little bit on top of what you feel is your duty devote just a little more time to those things that you that give you purpose this year give power to what excites you don't give power to those things that that tear your confidence down or your fortitude you know if you're focusing on something and all it does is cause you stress well okay how can you eliminate that from your life or how can you address it in a different way so it doesn't cause you stress. Something for me of the podcast, I stress about politics. I stress about the news. I read the news and I'm thinking, what the hell? What are we doing? <laughs> We're screwing this up. And and I stress about it. I went into a massive depression after January 6th. And I mean, it, it really impacted me. You can ask my wife. I, I was a zombie after January 6th because it was it was so demoralizing like it was it could have been such a great moment in u.s history a president speaking to a massive crowd of people a president with massive power whether you like him or not a massive amount of power and using that power to spark a peaceful rally which was was the intent don't let the the audio clips on cnn and msnbc fool you if you listen to the whole thing, we've, we've talked about that on the show. Calls for peace. Alex Jones with a bullhorn calling for peace. And then the idiots, well, did what idiots do and they screwed it up for the rest of us. Um, it stressed me out. So uh, back to what I was saying. Addressing those things that stress you out by either eliminating, eliminating them from your life or finding a positive way to address them, to turn that stress into positive action. Um, I'm trying to live that in my own life right now through this podcast. Uh, so anyways, go out into the world, be an advocate for kindness. Um, don't, don't leave yourself open for any man or woman 
to be able to accuse you of anything, you know, slanderous or whatever it is, because you, those who know you know exactly who you are. They know he would never do that intentionally. She would never do that to hurt somebody. Bible says that we are known by our acts, by the fruits of our labor. We're saved by faith, but our reputation is the things that we do, our actual deeds. Bible says, you know, we can't be saved by our works, but we will be known by them here in the world. And I mean, that just brings up an obvious question. What will you be known for? You know, whether it's now or 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what will people remember you for? Rush Limbaugh is remembered as being inflammatory. He's also remembered as being kind and wanting peace and wanting to understand the other side and for the other side to understand him. And people like that are polarizing. And if if everybody agrees with you or nobody says whether they agree or disagree with you, what have you done? But I've seen many times before, especially from entrepreneurs, when people come out against you and try to slander you or to misrepresent you or your words, then you're doing something right. And with that, I will see you next time. Uh, I know, I'm sorry we went, God, we're over a minute already. I apologize. I do this every time. Um, but before I let you go, check out Black Rebel Coffee, www.blackrebelcoffee.com. Check out Cross and Musket Apparel on Instagram, at Cross and Musket. Don't forget promo code Insta for 20% off. Uh, really, Instagram is a place to check us out. So um, give us a follow, and we will see you next time. Hey, Point B fans, thanks for listening to the show and uh, even even continuing this episode through overtime here. Um, quickly, we want to ask you sincerely to help spread the word of what we're doing here on the podcast, um, the community that we're trying to build. We would so appreciate if you would leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. We're seeing great growth on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Leave us a review. Um, give us comments on Instagram and Facebook comments go a long way to helping us just get found you know the algorithms the the google and the facebook algorithms you live or die by them and uh, we can't do it without you i can't be commenting all day on my own post and i can't be leaving reviews for myself i don't have that many email addresses uh and lastly please give us a shout out if you uh if you know of a great company doing great things we would uh we'd like to be able to reach out to them or have them reach out to us uh the more we grow the more we can help promote your small business or your favorite brands out there. So again, give us a follow, share our posts and tell your friends about it and um, encourage us to grow and get better. Give us feedback. If you don't like something we said or something I said, uh, if you disagree, let me know, uh, comment or DM us on Instagram again at point B underscore cast. Or if you just want to send me an email, it's info at cross and We appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.